Fired Up show starts right now. And hey, there you are. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and I'm your host each week as we dive into the political machine here in the United States. So we are um, entering the final week of Black History Month here in the U.S., uh, although truth be told, um, black history, like all of the uh, ethnic history that went to build this country, is something that shouldn't just be celebrated in one month, but should be celebrated every day. So you know, we tend to bring those messages out there. Uh, next month in March is Women's History Month, and we will be talking about the notable contributions of women in the history of this country uh, and others as we go through the balance of the year. Uh, and of course, we you know, would be remiss if we didn't talk about, uh, and we will cover again in, in addition this episode, uh, what's going on in the political realm, which is kind of the core uh, theme of this podcast. Uh, so without further ado, let me dig into uh, what I want to cover for this, the final week of Black History Month here in the U.S. And uh, quite simply, um, I want to tie together um, black history uh, with a, a singular term that I don't think we, we equate as often as we should, uh, and that is heritage, um, particularly as, as we we journey to the end of this month, um, black heritage. Uh, heritage is the table on which, you know, black history is built. And we would not have, you know, the celebration that we have. We would not have many of the things in this country that we take so much for granted in terms of inventions and uh, scientific and medical advances uh, and, and all sorts of things if it weren't for the actions and impacts brought out from uh, many, many uh, African Americans here in this country. Uh, over the course of the episodes this month, uh, we've looked at historical figures uh, dating back to the earliest days of, of presence of uh, Africans uh, in this country to looking forward to the future to the leaders that we have out there today uh, who are in definitely the up-and-coming ranks of building on top of the heritage and history that we have so far. And uh, we continue to develop and foster and bring forward uh, new pioneers in uh, history, in science, in politics, in math, in uh, sports, in everything. Uh, you know, it, it needs to be said in this era of uh, disenfranchisement uh, and, you know, all of the negative things that we talk about and unfortunately that we have to cover here on this podcast. But, you know, African-Americans uh, have been here since the early 1600s. And since that time, we have you know, built in great portion many of the things in this country, uh, as I said, that we often take for granted. So you know, for for more, you know, details on that, and in case you've missed it, uh, check out our archive site, 
you can find our archives at the WJMS Media website. Uh, it's WJMSmedia.com. Uh, and also, you know, in, in wherever you get your podcasts, uh, search for Fired Up uh, WJMS, and it will bring you to those locations. Uh, but as I said, I wanted to talk about heritage uh, a little bit as it relates to uh, history uh, in general and black history in particular. And in, in looking for a, a subject to kind of bring the message, uh, I came across in my, my uh, news radars brought to me, uh, and you may have heard about this, uh, a young man by the name of Daryl George. Um, and uh, he is from you know the state of Texas, uh, who we talk about a lot on this program, not often in a good light. But uh, Daryl George, uh, who is 18, who is an honor roll student uh, at Barbers Hill High School in Mount Bellevue, Texas, uh, has was suspended, uh, actually was suspended three times. Uh, and while, you know, if you are a cynical person, you might believe that, you know, he was a troublemaker or, you know, acted out or, or some other form or fashion that we hear about so often uh, when the term uh, suspended uh, students and African-Americans are used in the same sentence. However, not in this case. As I said, Daryl George is an honor roll student and uh, has not created any uh, trouble in his school. Uh, the reason that he has been suspended three times uh, at this school and, and currently uh, attends classes in a, a separate uh, school, what's called ISS, Independent uh, Study. And the reason that he is in the midst of all of this and the controversy surrounding it is quite simply his hairstyle. Now, if you go and uh, look up, you know, Daryl George, uh, Texas School, uh, you'll see a picture of this very handsome young man who happens to wear his hair in uh, a, a lock and braid style uh, that wraps around his head. Uh, and that is the reason why he has been suspended for his hairstyle. Now, this came to light uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks because this is now... Uh, led like so many things do to a court case uh, where he is citing that he is uh, being discriminated against and is saying that his hairstyle uh, is a protected style under what is known as the Crown Act. Now the Crown Act is a uh, law that was passed uh, in order to protect hairstyles, uh, culturally based hairstyles, uh, particularly in the case of um, black people, it is the uh, locks, dread, uh, bandu knot, uh, twists, styles uh, of hair, which you know have been frequent targets of what can only be described as discriminatory acts uh, by uh, the uh, 
school departments and in other officials uh, in several states. Uh, this case in Texas uh, has brought you know a, a public attention because the the idea uh, of the um, the reasoning by the 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 school board uh, in uh, for Barbers Hill High School is that his hairstyle supposedly violates uh, the school dress code, uh, and in particular, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, um, because uh, it violates, and, and the, the notion that they are saying is that it hangs down to the you know below his neck and over his eyebrows which is a violation of school policy now again if you if you search out you know daryl george you know in in texas and see the picture you will see that his hairstyle uh wraps around his head uh it's braids and then they are twisted into locks and those are wrapped around his head uh, so his entire face is, is unobstructed. Uh, the back of his neck and his ears are unobstructed. The, the decision by the school board to suspend him for violation of the dress code uh, rests on the fact that they are saying what his hair would be if he undid the locks. That is, if he let just the braids hang down, that they would be too long. Now, the problem with that is, is that that's not how he wears his hairstyle. Uh, according to, to, uh, to Daryl, he wears his hair in a braided and lock style uh, on the basis of celebrating his heritage, where he comes from, uh, his ancestors. And he, he is just beside himself being upset because he is being blocked from getting his education simply because of his hairstyle. And this isn't the first time. There was another case that came out last year where a student was not going to be allowed to uh, graduate, to walk across the stage unless he cut his dreads. All right. Now, flip the script on this. All right. Bear with me for a second here. If we were talking about, and I know we're not, so for those of you that are going to say, yeah, it's, you know, apples and oranges doesn't compare, whatever. If we were talking about someone whose hair was a, a you know, pick a color, a fluorescent pink or orange, uh, or, you know, had one of the, the spiked styles that were popular, you know, years ago, and this student was suspended from school, uh, and and so forth, uh, there would be an outrage because, you know, this student who most likely uh, would be a white student is being uh, withheld his or her education because of a hairstyle. Uh, and, and I have seen plenty of hairstyles just in the area in which I live where, you know, there are you know, the hair hangs down over the eyes and, and covers the ears and all of the things that, you know, violate tenets of the Crown Act. And yet we don't hear about these students being suspended or, or you know, being not allowed to graduate with their class. Uh, but yet we have in the case of, 
you know, these African-American students, you know, the two of which I've cited here, and, and undoubtedly there are many others in, in areas of the country, who, because they have their hair in this very, very specific style, braids, locks, twists, which reflect the heritage, there's that word, of, you know, our people uh, and, and their reverence for that heritage, uh, they are targeted out for these uh, disciplinary processes. Now, you know, this alone is, you know, unacceptable. And I, I encourage you to keep track of how this case uh, in, in Mount, Mount Bellevue, Texas, uh, proceeds. Uh, again, the young man's name is uh, Daryl George. Um, but, you know, it, it goes to, again, this idea of, you know, heritage and um, attacking or uh, demeaning or, you know, downgrading the heritage of African Americans and, and other minorities, let's make no mistake, uh, in this country. Um, and in, in sort of a segue, this also speaks to something that we hear quite often in the political discussions, um, you know, going on when the subject turns to the, quote, weaponization, close quote, of government. Uh, and, you know, people and politicians um, often speak of the, the risks and dangers of a weaponized government as if it doesn't exist at all yet. Um, I would argue that uh, this case with Daryl George and, you know, other cases uh, of both a similar nature uh, show that uh, some segments of our government are already weaponized. Uh, obviously, we have seen the, um, the outcomes of interactions with police and uh, minorities and non-minorities uh, in the streets uh, and the uh, overreaction, it would seem, uh, of the court system to a, a specific case. Um, you know, as I said, this case here where they are, you know, defining a, a hairstyle by a designated governing body of a school system. Uh, we have seen uh, examples of the weaponization of our government already in existence when we look at the uh, disenfranchisement activities of various states over the last, you know, decades, um, we have seen uh, the weaponization of, uh, you know, our, our government in terms of uh, identifying certain actions or activities that, you know, are, are deemed to be, uh, and I, I hesitate to say illegal, but I will say uh, in violation of certain norms uh, and, you know, the government takes action to suppress or eliminate those activities. Uh, you know, we, we see plenty of uh, times where, um, you know, peaceful protests by one group or another 
whether it's you know blacks protesting or uh, Latin X Hispanics protesting uh, or you know uh, LGBTQIA plus people protesting uh, some act of discrimination against them and the response from the government is a a a crackdown or what could be considered you know at worst an overreaction uh, so I, I I posit those to say that uh, in some regards our government is already weaponized what what we more accurately should be uh, watching out for is the over weaponization of government or uh, the federalized version of a weaponized government. This is what a lot of politicians and others are warning about that we are heading to, uh, given the current uh, divided political environment we have and the direction that the, uh, the, the right is taking on this. Uh, their actions seem to be of a nature to increase the amount of over-weaponization of our government. Uh, we saw this, again, the latest uh, verdict out of Tennessee, and this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, a ruling two weeks ago in Alabama by their Supreme Court uh, issued a ruling that would allow parents to sue for wrongful death of their minor children, including embryos. Uh, several of the state's uh, fertilization clinics halted their work on in vitro fertilization, which is the creation of embryos by mixing eggs and sperm in a lab dish. Uh, according to an article in Reuters, uh, the, the latest development on this, and, and we'll circle back to the original ruling itself, uh, is that the uh, Alabama Attorney General's office had, quote, no intention of prosecuting providers of in, in vitro fertilization or families who use their services. Uh, and this was announced on Friday uh, in response, in part, to the uh, state Supreme Court uh, ruling that frozen embryos are considered children. Uh, this uh, decision has caused uh, quite an uproar, as you might imagine, uh, in the fertility industry, as well as being a, uh, a, a next step uh, in the crackdown on women's reproductive rights, uh, started two years ago with the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, which was the uh, law that uh, protected the legality of uh, women seeking an abortion. Now, in, in the, the article in Reuters talks about the fact that the uh, Attorney General's office says that it is not going to prosecute um, uh, people uh, or clinics or people who use the services of in vitro fertilization. And I'm, I'm not a doctor, but from what I have read and how I understand it, when someone has a, a, a medical need that, you know, they cannot get pregnant or a woman cannot get pregnant under, quote, normal circumstances, close quote, IVF is used to fertilize her eggs outside of uh, her body with sperm from, you know, the, the father uh, and pick 
the uh, most viable egg or eggs of that batch and place them into the woman's body. That's not so much as I understand this. That's not so much the issue. The issue is what happens to the other uh, eggs that were, quote, fertilized but are not considered viable for whatever reason. Uh, typically, those eggs um, are destroyed, and therein lies the, the conflict at the base of uh, the ruling from the Supreme Court, that destroying those eggs is destroying viable uh, human life. Um, and that is what has been at the center of this. Now, uh, again, so, you know, this ruling by the Supreme Court, and again, falling into the article from Reuters, um, the ruling by the court, whose elected judges are all Republican, uh, left doctors and patients wondering how to legally store, transport, and use embryos uh, if they are to be held liable for any embryos that are destroyed or lost. Uh, in, in his concurring opinion, uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice Tom Parker wrote that the court was simply following state laws and that it was up to the state legislature to pass new measures that would regulate IVF clinics and processes according to the state's 2018 Sanctity of Life Amendment approved by the voters that supports the, quote, the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children. Uh, so the, the idea here is that uh, these embryos, uh, once they are uh, fertilized, uh, now are considered uh, unborn children and are therefore entitled to all of the protections of a, a fetus and a, a newly born child. Uh, and this creates a big uh, hassle uh, for the IVF industry. It you know, creates the same kind of scenario we have watched happen again and again uh, since the overturning uh, of uh, Roe by the Dobbs decision, where, you know, for whatever reasons, uh, a, woman, a woman wishes to terminate a pregnancy and, you know, cannot get that done in their state because of an imposed ban. Now, we have seen the uh, legal battles. We have seen the the outcomes of this. Uh, you know, the the ten year old girl who was forced to go to another state uh, after becoming pregnant from an attack by an, an illegal immigrant. Uh, we saw the woman in Texas who, because of medical condition and the fact that her uh, unborn child was not going to survive birth uh, and the state was blocking her efforts to have that pregnancy terminated, uh, we see where this battle uh, is likely to go and, and where it is, it is starting to go. So when I say that government is already to some extent weaponized in certain areas, this is what I'm talking about, that these types of decisions are not being made necessarily by a, a woman, you know, uh, a family and their medical provider. They are being mandated by a, 
an arm of the federal or state government uh, and leaving no uh, opportunity or very little opportunity for any uh, input or action to be taken by the affected individuals. This is what I'm saying is this partial weaponization that already exists in government. It is where the government is using its influence and using the laws at its command to, in fact, uh, dictate how free citizens run their lives. Uh, and you know, we, we can see uh, as we look further down that road that you know, this in, in combination with uh, the, the legal uh, battles and ramifications of the uh, book bans that we have seen in, in the recent uh, past, uh, you know, notably Florida and Texas and you know, Alabama and, and other states, um, we can see that slowly there is a creeping insinuation of government more and more and deeper and deeper into our personal lives and you know many people if, if in fact the majority of americans uh, are opposed to these intrusions uh you know the overwhelming majority of americans um, believe that some um, abortions uh, need to happen uh, an, an outright total ban isn't what they want, uh, and you know if a a a woman is pregnant uh, and there are you know certain exigent circumstances such as rape, incest, or the health of the mother, mother, that an abortion should be available to that woman. You know we've we've talked about that on this show uh, a couple of times. So now we come to, uh, it's not just that uh, in, in they, they are, as they believe, protecting an unborn child, a, as in a, a fetus growing inside of its mother's womb. Now they are talking about uh, an unborn embryo that exists outside of a woman's body uh, as you know, being essentially the same as a, a fetus uh, growing inside the woman. Uh, I, I know I'm not you know, giving a clear uh, legal medical uh, definition. But that, that's the best I can muster. I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a doctor. However, it is uh, another case where the government is intruding itself or inserting itself uh, into a situation that uh, the majority of Americans believe it should not be. Uh, and uh, current polling, the last I saw, showed uh, something to the tune of nearly two-thirds of Americans uh, believe that uh, the IVF process is a, a necessary process. Clearly, uh, it would seem to serve uh, Republican interests uh, as opposed to uh, abortion where a potential life um, is is ended uh, for whatever reasons there are uh, this is in fact the the blocking uh, the original legislation the Supreme Court ruling uh, would actually block the progress of a new human life 
progressing and coming into the world. Uh, and again, that's how I see it. That's my interpretation. Uh, if you, you know, disagree or have you know, comments or push back on it, uh, send an email to the show at fireduppradio at yahoo.com. And let's have that discussion. Um, so, you know, they're saying, and, and again, going back to the article, the high court ruled that Alabama's constitution clearly considered embryos as, quote, unborn children without exception based on developmental stage, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics. And citing a constitutional amendment that Alabama voters approved in 2018, which granted fetuses full human rights, including the right to life. The, you know, the, the procedure you know, in question typically involves creating multiple embryos to maximize the chance of a successful pregnancy, leaving some unused. And it's, it's those ones that don't get selected uh, for implantation that are you know, part of the heart of this, this issue. Uh, they are, you know, they, they can't be refrozen, so they are um, typically destroyed. And the problem is that under the law, the, the entity that handles the destruction of those, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the person that physically does it or the institution within, within which they work and so forth, under this law is now liable for you know killing an unborn child and you know it's it it has caused the industry in alabama uh to come to uh pretty much a a stop while this law is assessed and what it means uh and and all of the things that are related to it are are worked out and the 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 final point i'll make before we break for this segment is that you know what is happening in ten, or I'm sorry in Alabama uh, is being watched in other areas to see how it works out. So we'll we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep you posted, uh, and uh, you know hopefully uh, a a logical and ethical and you know human conclusion uh, can be arrived at. So on that note, let's take our break here. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast right here on WJMS Media. Uh, This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people, a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When was the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov slash reach. That's va.gov slash reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. And we're back. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. 
So in the first segment, we talked about uh, a couple of elements of uh, what we are seeing as a de facto weaponization uh, of elements of the government against uh, the people. Uh, the first one, you know, we were looking at the young man in Texas uh, who is uh, filing a lawsuit over that uh, community uh, school board's decision regarding uh, his hair. Uh, in the second uh, element that we talked about, where the state of Alabama uh, was criminalizing the destruction of embryos that were not uh, going to be used in an IVF procedure, uh, and the, the shockwave that sent through that community, even though the Attorney General is now uh, committing to not prosecuting uh, doctors, clinics, and uh, uh, parents in that action. Uh, the, the third one that I want to bring up, and uh, this one is one that actually was uh, called out by Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas uh, in uh, his uh, participation in the decision in the Dobbs uh, case that overturned Roe v. Wade, where he uh, suggested that additional uh, laws that uh, impacted other elements of our society, in this case particularly the LGBTQ plus uh, community, uh, be reviewed and possibly uh, overturned if possible. And in, in light of that, and perhaps driven by that, uh, in Tennessee, there was a new marriage law that was signed uh, by Governor Bill Lee, uh, which takes aim at the Supreme Court uh, Obergefell decision. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, but essentially, uh, the New Tennessee law, and this is according to an article that came out from Talking Points Memo, uh, and it, it says, uh, it leads with, a New Tennessee law undercuts the Supreme Court's 2015 landmark closely divided decision legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide and marks a significant victory for a resurgent conservative movement to restrict LBGTQ plus rights. So uh, this law, which was signed by Governor Lee, uh, pretty much uh, in silence, that is, there was no uh, press coverage, no announcements or, or anything like that, uh, essentially, uh, doesn't seek to overturn uh, same-sex marriage uh, in its entirety or overturn the law on same-sex marriage in its entirety rather uh, than take you know a, a howitzer approach to it they are taking a sniper approach in that they are using this new law to effectively remove half of what is needed under state law to become legally married so in Tennessee, uh, and I, I suspect as in many states, uh, marriage occurs after two events, the issuance of a marriage license and the formal solemnization of a marriage, which can be carried out by a religious official, a state notary public, or a state official. 
uh, as the article states, by targeting solemnization and not marriage licenses, the law allows Tennessee to undermine the Supreme Court's ruling in Obergefell versus Hodges while potentially avoiding a direct challenge to the precedent. Uh, experts compared the new Tennessee law to the campaign waged against Roe v. Wade in which many states passed increasingly aggressive abortion bans in the years leading up to the 2022 Dobbs decision when a majority of justices were willing to revisit and scrap uh, the Roe precedent entirely. So what they're saying is, you know, as I said, they're taking a sniper approach rather than a howitzer approach in that they are, with this law, uh, uh, eliminating one half of the requirements needed for a marriage license, specifically in this case to be applicable against uh, same-sex and other uh, marriage types. The new law, according to the article, is among the first in the country to allow state officials to decline to participate in same-sex marriages or other forms of marriage. It represents a rising, aggressive tide in the conservative social movement, that is, a recognition that after achieving a generational goal with the Dobbs decision and with the Supreme Court stacked 6-3 in favor of conservatives, they're in a position to lay siege to marriage equality and other personal freedoms. And again, if if you recall, Justice Thomas pointed out several of these, uh, you know, in in his argument uh, for the Dobbs decision. Uh, He also included, by the way, uh, interracial marriage uh, as something else that uh, the Supreme Court uh, would like to take a look at. So the article goes on to say in, in, in another segment, the fact that the law applies only to solemnization could mean that any challenge might avoid the central holding of Obergefell. And that is that states must license same-sex marriages and recognize same-sex marriage licenses issued by other states. So what they're what they're doing here is they are again, while not seeking to strike down uh, Obergefell uh, completely, uh, a la Roe, they are looking to make the law. Uh, specifically in the cases of same-sex marriages, uh, impossible to uh, complete to meet the requirements of Tennessee state's uh, marriage requirements. Uh, So, you know, this is, uh, again, uh, what uh, a weaponization looks like. You know, it looks like uh, an arm of the the government, in this case, uh, state government, uh, taking aim and undoing or destroying uh, a, a law or a portion of a law that, you know, has uh, what is arguably a positive benefit uh, for the, the community. Now, as I said, this law uh, allows Tennessee to decline to issue marriage licenses to same-sex sex couples which is required under the Obergefell uh, law uh, of 2015. So even though you know, there have been actions uh, in Congress 
you know, specifically, uh, Congress passed a federal law called the Respect for Marriage Act, which repealed a prior law uh, called the Defense of Marriage Act, which had defined marriage as between a man and a woman and did not require states to recognize same-sex marriages performed in other states. So even though uh, DOMA, for Defense of Marriage Act, is still on the books, although it's unenforceable under Obergefell, uh, both chambers of commerce moved the Respect for Marriage Act in 2022. And, and again, in direct response to Clarence Thomas's concurrence in Dobbs, in which he encouraged a reconsideration of precedents, including the landmark same-sex decision. So the the background writing in in that statement is uh, that you know this is another step, and that there potentially are more uh, to come. <clears throat> if Obergefell goes down, the article states. The law only requires that states recognize same-sex marriage licenses from other states where it is legal, not that they issue them themselves. Also, in a concession to get more Republicans on board, uh, it also exempts nonprofit religious organizations, including churches, from providing, quote, services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges for the solemnization of or, or celebration of a marriage. What does that mean? Well, it means that uh, function halls don't have to uh, lease or, or rent their space for celebrations of a same-sex marriage. Uh, it, it bolsters the case that came up through the Supreme Court uh, a couple of years ago where a caterer was refusing to make a, a wedding cake for a same-sex sex couple. Under, under this law, uh, that would, would no longer be an issue as there would not be a marriage license for a same-sex couple. Hence, there would be no need for a wedding cake to be, uh, to be made. So what does this mean in the real world? Well, um, under uh, this law, if it... Uh, progressed nationally, um, and again, should Obergefell be overturned, uh, the country would return to the pre-Obergefell patchwork where couples had to travel to certain states to get married. Uh, sound familiar? Uh, right now, under the post-Roe uh, world, uh, if you know couples are seeking reproductive care, including abortion, that their state may not or does not offer, they have to go to other states. Uh, so this, this patchwork uh, continues to be expanded uh, now into this new realm where uh, marriage for LGBTQ uh, couples uh, would only be allowed to be performed and thereby recognized in the other uh, states in the union uh, if it was performed in a state where same-sex marriage was legal. So, you know, as I said, the the weaponization that we hear talked about so much is turning into a a sniper's contest rather than a uh, carpet bomb the entire uh, process and, you know, leave the rubble where it lies. 
Um, it, this is kind of the what could become the new normal unless the electorate, that's you and me, uh, decide to exercise our franchise, that is vote, and change the landscape of uh, not only our, our federal uh, legislators, senators, and, and U.S. Congress people, but our state legislators as well, which is why, as we often talk about in, in this program, uh, you can't just focus on the federal uh, government. Uh, the, the actual power to affect change in our daily lives uh, comes more from the state than it does from the federal. So as much as we need to pay attention on who we're electing for you know, the U.S. House and the Senate and president, we need to focus uh, equally close, if not closer, on who we are electing into our state legislatures and who we are electing to sit in the governor's chair in our state houses. So you know, we will keep an eye out for other uh, attacks that are coming to, uh, to rights here in the United States, and uh, we'll bring that information to you. Um, but what, is, what are your thoughts? I, I'd love to hear what you think uh, about this development. Uh, is it going to uh, travel to other states in the country as uh, similar uh, packages have done over the past few years? Uh, is this just a one-off? Uh, what, what's going to transpire with this? Send an email to the show at fireduppradio at yahoo.com and let me know your thoughts. I'd love to gather your opinions on it and, and bring it out in a future show here on Fired Up. So, all right. Um, our last story for this episode, and I'm going to lead, lead it off by reading a little bit and what I want to read for you is uh, from our Constitution and it is essentially the first amendment uh, to our Constitution and it reads as as such Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and petition the government for a redress of grievances. So what does that have to do with current affairs news? Well, if you've been following this podcast, you know that we have talked about uh, things like Project 2025, which is the Republican playbook for the next Republican administration, uh, whether it is you know Donald Trump or a, a future Republican uh, administration. Well, one of the things that uh, the ultra-conservative uh, wing of the Republican Party uh, is doing and uh, is you know under uh, the leadership of the Heritage Foundation uh, in general, and some uh, 70 or more organizations in particular uh, is to infuse Christian nationalism uh, in 
the next Republican administration. And again, it might be you know the, the second Trump administration or it may be a future administration. Uh, but uh, this uh, came out on the 20th of February. And uh, the article talks about an influential think tank close to Donald Trump is developing plans to infuse Christian nationalist ideas in his administration should the former president return to power. And this is according to documents uh, that were obtained by Politico. Uh, spearheading the effort is Russell Vogt, who uh, served as Trump's director of the Office of Management and Budget during his first term and has remained close to him. Vogt, who is frequently cited as a potential chief of staff in a second Trump White House, is president of the Center for Renewing America think tank, a leading group in a conservative consortium preparing for a second Trump team. And they're one of the uh, participants and developers of the Project 2025 uh, plan. So the, the document that they have drafted uh, and includes a list of top priorities, which include, among other things, uh, invoking the Insurrection Act on day one to quash protests and refusing to spend unauthorized congressional funds on unwanted projects, uh, a practice that was banned by lawmakers in the Nixon era. Uh, CRA's work fits into a broader effort by conservative, MAGA-leaning organizations to influence a future Trump, uh, read that as a future Republican White House. Uh, and according to um, uh, two people familiar with the plans uh, who uh, reported uh, uh, after being given anonymity, uh, said that uh, Vote hopes his proximity and regular contact with the former president, uh, whom he speaks with at least once a month, will elevate Christian nationalism as a focal point in a second Trump term and by extension into the next uh, upcoming Republican term. So according to Politico, uh, the documents they obtain uh, do not outline specific Christian nationalist policies, but uh, Vote, who is the, the, the leader of this effort, has promoted a restrictionist immigration agenda, saying a person's background doesn't define who can enter the U.S., but rather citing biblical teachings, whether that person, quote, accepted uh, Israel's God, laws, and understanding of history. Let that percolate for a minute. Vote, who was deeply involved in the development uh, or updating of Project 2025, uh, says, among other things, that uh, the project's mandate for leadership states that freedom is defined by God, not man. CRA spokespersons uh, have gone on the record to classify the reporting uh, from Politico uh, as false, uh, stating that they have informed them that their reporting is incorrect on multiple occasions. But some things that we do know. Trump is not a devout man of faith, but Christian nationals have been among his most reliable campaign activists and voting blocs. 
he formed a political alliance with evangelicals uh, during the first run for president, uh, delivered them a six to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court, and is now espousing the Christian rights long running argument that Christians are so severely persecuted that it necessitates a federal response. You know, in, in a uh, December campaign speech, he said Marxists and fascists are, quote, going hard against Catholics. Uh, upon taking office, I will create a new federal task force on fighting anti-Christian bias to be led by a fully reformed Department of Justice that's fair and equitable and will, quote, investigate all forms of illegal discrimination. As I mentioned, uh, you know, and as the article mentioned, Trump is not a devout man of faith. You know, he, he holds his Bible upside down and backwards. Um, but on the eve of the Iowa caucuses, he promoted on his social media a video that, su that suggests his campaign is actually a divine mission from God. Uh, in 2019, uh, his then Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, set up a federal commission to define human rights based on the precepts that Vote describes, specifically, quote, natural law and natural rights. Now, natural law is the belief that there are universal rules derived from God that can't be superseded by government or judges. While it is the core, a core pillar of Catholicism, in recent decades, it's been used to oppose abortion, LBGTQ plus rights, and contraception. Under the vision that Vote and his organization promotes, uh, they see it as uh, renewing a consensus of America as a nation under God, per a statement on their website and reshaping the government's contract with the governed. Freedom of religion would remain a protected right, but Vote and his ideological brethren would not shy from using their administration positions to promote Christian doctrine and imbue public policy with it, according to both people familiar with the matter. Uh, he makes clear reference to human rights being defined by God, not man. Uh, and he goes on to state, America should be recognized as a Christian nation where our rights and duties are understand, are, I'm sorry, understood to come from God. Uh, and this was uh, from uh, something he wrote in Newsweek more than two years ago. He goes on to state, it is a commitment to an institutional separation between church and state, but not the separation of Christianity from its influence on government and society. He continues, noting such a framework, quote, can lead, to a can lead to beneficial outcomes for our own communities as well as individuals of all faiths. Uh, stepping out of the article for a second, uh, personal opinion always worries me when uh, ultra-conservatives start talking about our communities. Uh, who are you talking about? What communities are you referencing? Uh, who's included in those communities are always questions I raise when I hear that statement. And, you know, you need to look at that uh, as Joe Madison, uh, rest his soul, used to say, with a third eye and a third ear. 
uh, listen for the deeper message and deeper meaning. Uh, You know, he uh, says that Christian nationalism is actually a rather benign and useful description for those who believe in both preserving our country's Judeo-Christian heritage and making public policy decisions that are best for this country. The term need not be subjected to such intense scorn due to misunderstanding or slander. You can all already see the influence that CRA is wielding uh, on, uh, on Donald Trump's positions. Uh, his thinking on withdrawing the U.S. from NATO, for example, and using military force against Mexican drug cartels. Uh, those were uh, inspired by uh, CRA papers, uh, according to a report from Rolling Stone. And another element, Trump's talking about bringing his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, who is a voca- vocal proponent of Christian nationalism, back into office. Uh, Right now, Flynn is currently focused on recruiting what he calls, quote, an army of God uh, as he goes around the country promoting his vision of putting Christianity at the center of American life. Remember all the controversy that happened about the separation of uh, families, parents from children uh, at the southern border uh, during the Trump presidency? Uh, That was actually an idea uh, supported and defended by vote. Uh, He uh, says that uh, in in a speech he gave in September that the decision to defend the rule of law necessitates the separation of families. Uh, And, you know, the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025, which, you know, vote is an influencing member of, has a laundry list of things that uh, they want to see put in place as part of a uh, more Christian nation in the U.S. Uh, One of the things that they've mentioned is compelling the Food and Drug Administration to revoke approval of chemical abortion drugs. Uh, We are seeing news about this uh, going on uh, right now. protecting religious and moral objections for employers who decline contraception coverage for employees. His group has also uh, called for ending sex education in schools. Uh, Surrogacy and no-fault divorce throughout the country, as well as forcing men to, quote, provide for their children as soon as it's determined the child is theirs. Uh, a, A clear incursion by the government into Americans' private lives. So these are just a very few of the things that uh, the, the Christian nationalist movement is proposing for a, uh, a second Trump administration or the next available Republican administration to come down the line. So what do we, uh, the people, have to do about that? We need to make sure that we are uh, weeding out the elected officials who you know, are, are in support of these ideas that infringe on our personal freedoms and liberties. Uh, you know, if, if these are principles that you believe in, uh, fine, this is, this is still a free country. However, uh, realize that 
many of these are slippery slopes that once we begin down, we may not be able to stop our progress down these slopes. So we need to think carefully about you know who it is that we are electing, what it is they stand for. We need to get as much detailed information as we can so that we are making an informed decision when we step into that polling place. Uh, and that's always been uh, the message of the Fired Up podcast, and it will continue to be that message. So, you know, that's going to wrap this show. Uh, thank you all for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. As I've mentioned, please send your comments or questions to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, I would love to gather opinions, uh, pro and con, both sides. Let, let's have a dialogue. All right. In the meantime, everybody, please stay safe. Remember that there is a new COVID variant out there and that all the protections that we are used to uh, take uh, need to be taken again. So stay safe uh, and uh, thank you. And I look forward to speaking to all of you again in seven days. Mm -hmm.